friends, I'm Sabrina, the rookie around here. John and Dick are the old school American fans of F1. Thanks for taking time to listen in on a conversation we had about the 2023 Bahrain Grand Prix. In this debrief of the season's first race, the guys and I discussed our takeaways from the weekend. Then the conversation veered to a philosophical aspect of F1, cost-benefit analysis. The guys' insights into how F1 teams and individuals assess risk made me realize yet again how different the world of F1 is from the rest of us. Hope you enjoy our conversation. Okay, the Bahrain Grand Prix. Let's talk about Quali, John. What did you see that excited you for the Grand Prix day? Well, there wasn't a whole lot that excited me, but I did think that there was one aspect of it that uh, really added to the uh, intensity and the, the uh, you know, expectation of it. And that was, you know, Lance's injury beforehand in training. And so it was really an open question, it seemed to me, as to whether he was going to actually drive or not. And it just kept going on and the suspense was just incredible. I'm sure if there are any Lance fans, are there? I don't know. Uh, if there are any Lance fans, they were really on their edge of their seat. But that was kind of the most exciting uh, piece of qualifying from my point of view. Although, you know, it wasn't. It, it is the first opportunity to see where the teams actually stand after testing and and getting out of Bahrain. So that was that was kind of interesting to see how they really stack up once they get on a fairly tight street circuit. I agree. I think that I was really on the edge of my seat. I'm not specifically a Lance fan. We all know who I really root for, but I do like Lance. And I thought, wow, two um, injuries on your wrist as a result of bicycling. I also remembered, wasn't it two years ago that Alonzo fell on a bike accident in preseason? So I thought, what's up with the Aston team? Like in their bicycling uh, issues here, Uh, maybe we should put that as a rider in their contracts. No bicycling ahead of uh, a race season either, either but, that or, really, or at least get training wheels exactly yep. that's exactly what i was gonna say yep. <laughs> uh yeah can you imagine fernando alonso with a bike and training wheels uh maybe Lance. money to have a picture of that <laughs> yeah yep. okay yep. well let's l- let's move on to the grand prix itself highlights that stick in your mind both of you i want to hear from but dick i'll give you first dibs you know we got our first taste of just how superior Red Bull's car is, either that or how much the other teams have missed it uh, on their designs. Um, but, you know, Red Bull cruised into a, a pretty easy one-two. Mercedes struggled. Ferrari clearly, you know, um, they struggled. I mean, Carlos put up a good fight, but, you know, we had the DMF for Charles because he had an engine failure. So, you know, it, it it was it was one of those deals. It was almost like Red Bull was ready to go. The other guys were not. Now, you know, the surprise, of course, for a lot of us was just how big of a step forward Aston Martin had made. And um, you know, I, I think um, it, it's pretty interesting that that they have made such a huge step forward. Um, but the other side of it is, is that, you know, they've, they've hired an awful lot of good people who, you know, finally this car had their stamp of approval or, or had their fingerprints on it, I guess, in the, in the overall design. So that was, 
that was really good. I, I would also say certainly Alonzo finishing third was a big deal. And the fact that the car didn't use up its tires as quickly, the its tire day was quite good. But I also think that you do have to make a shout out to Lance because to have that kind of an injury and then go and complete a Grand Prix weekend um, kind of shows how tough he really might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so um, I'm, I was really, I was pretty impressed by that from the midfield. I'm absolutely shocked at how bad the McLaren was. And of course they, they came out saying, Hey, this car did not meet our targets. And so, you know, they've continued to struggle since you really kind of think you saw the first of Alpine. I, I don't know, man, they to me a bit of a disappointment. Um, and it certainly was that way in, in Bahrain. And then, you know, like AlphaTauri, huh, they were gotten it really wrong. Um, but Haas, on the other hand, looked pretty good. Um, you know, especially with Hulkenberg coming back, I've not been a fan of him replacing Mick Schumacher, but I think he's proving his worth and it, it showed here, you know, um, kind of a mixed bag with the rookies, of course. But yeah, I think overall, you know, kind of an interesting race, um, but a little bit of a disappointment simply because, you know, I mean, Red Bull had it together and nobody else did. John, do you think that Red Bull just made it look really easy? Well, they did make it look easy, but what we know from experience is that it's it never is that easy. So what I'm wondering, I was I was really surprised with a couple of, th- well, with three things in particular about the race. And one was just how easy Red Bull did make it look. And I couldn't help but think that they must have made significant progress on the car, the 2023 car, during 2022 before they got hit with the penalties for mm-hmm. um, uh, wind tunnel time and that sort of thing. So they really Great must point. have been way ahead of the um, of the development game for the 2023 car, which, again, doesn't surprise me. But I was just surprised at how well the car worked against other cars. Mm-hmm. And equally, I was I was very surprised and disappointed, honestly, that Mercedes, as good a team as they are, as much brain power and horsepower as they have behind them, uh, they just did not. um they they didn't they failed to appreciate that the concept that they've got doesn't work. They're coming to that realization now, but I'm just surprised that they stuck with it. Mm-hmm. And clearly, the wind tunnel uh, modeling that they did must not have have correlated with the reality that they're facing. So I was really surprised that they waited as long as they have to make big changes and that they did not do as well as I would have expected them. And then the third surprise really was, was Aston Martin. And I've got to think that Seb Vettel was sitting on a couch with his kids and wife going, darn, could have been me. Yeah. But, you know, that's, that's just life, but they really, you know, Alonzo and I'll, I'll agree with, with Dick on uh, Lance's performance. That is a symbol of toughness and I wasn't a big fan of Lance's when he came into the sport. I'm still not a huge fan, but I do respect him. And I think he's really earned the right to be where he is. And uh, that was that made me respect him all that much more. Uh, Ferrari, yep. what can you say? You know, it's Italian. It's, uh, you know, it's, you know, sort of the circular firing squad again. You know, they keep mm-hmm. shooting themselves in the foot. So hopefully they'll get that straightened out. Um, yeah, I like Hulkenberg. I wasn't really all that 
excited to see Mick out, but wasn't surprised uh, to see him moved out. And, you know, but Hulkenberg is really a journeyman guy. He's he's done a good job in whatever he's been put in, and that's good for him. And he's sure making the most of the opportunity and in, in is out qualifying uh, KMAC uh, a lot. I like that term, journeyman. I had not really thought about that in, in relationship to Hulkenberg, but that's very appropriate term, I think. I um when you guys talk about Mercedes, I one of the th- many things that you you both know I love about Formula One is the business aspect of this and teamwork and leadership. I've struggled because you know Toto Wolf. I fo- I've followed some podcasts that have interviewed him. He's been really visible on things like Harvard Vid- Business Review and other um, business minded enterprises. And I have struggled to understand if the culture that he has been talking about inside the Mercedes um, garage and business, you know, back home and in the factory, if that's what has led to the success over this past era before the cost cap and the changes, what, if any changes, when, as I watched Bahrain, I kept thinking, what do they need to do to fix this? And is their culture going to be able to adapt quick enough to catch up with Red Bull. I don't know if you guys have thoughts on that question. And then as as we know, the resident Ferrari, well, not really Ferrari, Charles fangirl. All I know is as I watched that Grand Prix and it seemed like, okay, I wasn't asking for you to win the race, but all of a sudden for that power unit failure, I just remember my heart just stopped. I went, really? Are we back to this? And to hear you say that it's the circular firing squad of the Italian Ferrari. I just thought, Charles, maybe you need to think about somewhere else, but I don't know where that could ever open up. And it seems like he wants to stay there at Ferrari. With Red Bull, I got to say, I wondered if this this developmental benefit that we see is not just simply, as you said, not simply, but it's not, as you said, John, about their development pace ahead, but also because they breached the cap. Like, did they get any gain that we're seeing actually fundamentally out on the on the track? Do those do, do my points or my questions make sense? They definitely they thought it was worth breaching the cap because they did it. Mm-hmm. And and I think that when you look at the results, assuming that some of those results carried over into this year, as opposed to just the championship battle last year, mm-hmm. you have to assume that they really considered the cost benefit ratio and that it was it was worth it. But is that fair? I mean, moving forward, when we see how how dramatic a difference they have in pace compared to everybody else, was the penalty that was given fair in like is is that in kind of in line with the way Formula One handles breaches and penalties? Are you guys it's a there? Good question, Sabrina. Oh, okay. I think okay. That, yeah, it's a great question. I'm thinking about it. Yeah. And just to be honest about it, Formula One has been over the years advancing technology without restraint. That's, you know, there was a another phrase that was used at some points called formula libre. Mm. And, and it mm-hmm. just meant there were no real restraints. Okay, there was some formula under which they would race. But within the context of those formula, they were pretty general. 
and they could go after whatever the technology they and their engineers could could apply themselves to and develop. And so, you know, frankly, I I think that that's the most exciting part of Formula One. Okay, the races are interesting and Mm -hmm. they can be very exciting or they can be very dull. Um, But (laughs) but the technological advancement is the thing that is sets Formula One apart from everything else, in my view. They are, you know, seeking unrestrained advancement through technology and using their brains better than the, the next guy. And that, to me, is is uh, something that is re- that is unduly restrained under the current rule set. So, no, I don't <clears> – I think the penalty was fair – and Red Bull felt like it was fair because they they knew they were breaching. They you know they made the case, but frankly, I think that they they knew right up front that they were taking a real risk, but the risk was worth it. And that's honestly, at the end of the day, <clears throat> whether the guy is racing on a dirt track in his hometown or whether he's racing at Le Mans or whether he's racing in Formula One, he's going to do that. Mm. Mm-hmm. He'll push the envelope. Right. It's kind of baked into the culture of motor racing. Right. Pushing the envelope. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that now. Because I think the rules person, maybe that's the lawyer in me, is like, but that doesn't seem fair. The The penalty did not appear in my view and that had it wasn't a bias against red bull i was just thinking if this had been mercedes or any of the other t- um front of the pack teams would that have because it seemed like as i was watching it especially the top three if you you already had that leg up because of the financial which is what seemed to be the reason for the cost cap and now you're making a choice at the front end of this new era that everyone's going to be trying to catch up moving forward but it seems like that red bull knew that listening to you and kind of processing as you talked it seems like red bull knew that and said this is worth the risk because we know what we gain from this and we want to make sure that we stay at the top or in the case of them we want to get ahead of mercedes is that fair in my analysis yeah i think it keeps them ahead and that Mm -hmm. that's more important than anything else yeah. You okay. Know, to calculate a financial risk, right? I mean, right? That's really what it is. What's the risk versus reward? They did the calculation and said, uh, it's worth the risk. Right. Yeah. And they kept calm when they were getting the attacks and all of those different. Again, I can put that back to the track and actual racing is that even as you watch your competitor trying to overtake you, what I learned from you guys, especially is you just stay calm and you execute the plan, you deal with the variables. And so this is just now being replicated more inside the technical business aspect of Red Bull and the development aspect is like, you're going to do this. Um Okay. All right. Well, I do, can keep to you do oh, have to ahead. remember also that the people that run these F1 teams for the most part are racers themselves who did not make it to Formula One in a driving category. Toto Wolf was a driver. Right. Warner was a driver. Uh, you, you know, Lauda, of course, was a driver who did make it to Formula One. Uh, all of these, Helmut Marco is a right. is a former driver. So they all, you know, they they all have the same mindset. 
Mm-hmm. It's just racing in the business world, like the principles of racing and competitiveness and, and risk taking now transferred into a, at a high, just like formula one itself is a high level of racing. It's now also inside the business aspect. You're willing to take those risks that maybe the general person like me, who's more risk averse, as we all three know, um, wouldn't necessarily would say, Hey, I don't want to take that penalty. I don't want it to unintentionally harm the business and Red Bull because of the people who are a part of it are willing to take that. You may know that some of the teams now have a consultancy business to major corporations about the way that they run their, their racing business. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's directly addressing to business, how formula one approaches business. Yeah. Wow. Can you imagine if those principles were brought into other industries in a greater way what because we talk about what attracts you is a technological development that could advance so many other things inside our world that impacts us like medicine and and um even politics oh okay i could keep talking guys but we have to go thank you so much for this i guess i'm getting the last word on this one but we know that we will continue talking and have future conversations thanks guys that ends this conversation. But rest assured, we'll keep talking and you can keep listening in because we're just two guys, a girl, and F1. For John, Dick, and me, thanks for listening.